through 17. John 15, 11 through 17. This morning we're finishing up our uh, time in chapter 15, looking at Jesus' church as the vine. Uh, next Sunday, as Kirk said, Jordan Labrie will be here preaching in view of a call to be our part-time youth minister, and then the week after that, we will jump to John 17 and look at Jesus' prayer, his prayer both for uh, himself, his disciples, and then very specifically us. We're going to look at that. But this morning, finishing up the vine, John 15, 11 through 17. History is filled with accounts of people laying down their lives to save others. I, I, I mean, I... I looked for an example uh, for this, and it, it's just, I mean, really, just pick one. World War II, any of the wars, of course, you can always find the stories of, of heroic endeavors, you, you, uh, news articles. Um, life, it seems, often uh, presents these unwanted opportunities to lay down our lives for someone else. You, just a quick Google search, and you can find a lot. But I found one, a hero that you likely don't know, and his name was Tyler Duhon. I'm assuming I, I, I uh, pronounced that right. What's probably different about Tyler, uh, well, what is different about Tyler from most of the stories that we know, uh, th this happened in 2014, January 22nd of 2014. Uh, it was when the news report came out. Tyler was eight years old. Uh, he was visiting, I believe, his grandfather in, uh, in a town in New York, uh, in, outside of Rochester. And the trailer where he was staying with his grandfather and an uncle and some cousins ended up, ended up being, I guess, probably about nine people in, in the trailer at the time. The trailer caught fire in the middle of the night. Tyler got out but then went back and started waking people up, going through the trailer, waking them up, uh, telling them to get out, taking them out, and going back and getting them again. Well, when he went back to get his grandfather, uh, he didn't make it out. Neither did his grandfather or an uncle. Tyler died saving people, and in this case, attempting to save the seventh and eighth uh, people in his family. It, that is an amazing story. We, we have in mind, of course, an adult would do that, right? But this is an eight-year-old boy that gave up his life to save people, to save his family. Now, if you, if you want to know how much you're supposed to love others, and that's the theme of our passage this morning, love, if you want to know how much to love others, look no further than Tyler Duhon. There you go. That, that's it. That is how we are to love each other. For Christians, this type of love is rooted in our obedience to Jesus. We're called to show the same kind of love, maybe even more extraordinary, even than what Tyler showed, but we'll, we'll get to that toward the end. Look with me in John 15, verses 11 through 17. I've told you these things that so my joy may be in you, and your joy may be complete. This is my command. Love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this to lay down his life for his friends. 
You are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants anymore because a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. I've called you friends because I have made known to you everything I have heard from the Father. You did not choose me, but I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce fruit and that your fruit should remain so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. This is what I command you. Love one another. This this unit of of Scripture uh, begins with Jesus kind of wrapping up what he's already said and introducing this next passage. Joy, then love. Pray with me right quick. God, I, I thank you that you have brought us to this place to hear your word. And I pray that as we move through this passage, Lord, you would impress on our hearts, you would convict, you would heal, you would unify. God, you would do a great work that we would see the need to show love in all situations as we are commanded to do by the lips of our Savior. God, may we be what Jesus has called us to be. May we live up to the standard he set and exemplified as we seek to love each other in this place, but not just the ones we like, but love the ones we don't as well. God, may it be so in our lives. Speak to us this morning through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus is wanting to make clear here, he's been talking about obedience, he's been talking about producing fruit, particularly in chapter 15. And, and if, you're, if you're not careful, you begin to get the idea that you're not good enough. Well, let's step back here for just a second and let me tell you, you're absolutely right. You're not good enough. You're not good enough to save yourselves. You're, you're not good enough to live the life you're called to live. We only are saved because the Spirit draws us. We are only obedient and live the life we're called to in obedience to Christ because the Holy Spirit empowers us. So if you get that feeling of not being good enough, good. That's where you should be because your dependence should be on Christ and not yourself. But what Jesus wants us to understand, especially here in verse 11, is that his call to obedience, this desire for obedience, this struggle for obedience, is not a message of doom and gloom. As a matter of fact, he is going to tell us that the reason he is telling us all these things, the reason he is getting into this, is because he wants us to have joy. He tells them, I have told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. The purpose was joy. Well, what kind of joy? Well, he says, my joy may be in you. Jesus' joy was found in obedience. Jesus' joy was found in sacrifice. Jesus' joy was found in love. It, it, it kind of goes counter to our, our imagination to say Jesus found joy in what he was doing. He was rejected, ridiculed, mocked for three years, and then he was rejected, ridiculed, and mocked to the point of a cross. He suffered incredible pain, incredible agony, not just physical, but emotional, spiritual, psychological, and yet he counts this joy? Yeah. As a matter of fact, we're told later on to count it all joy, to, to suffer as Christ suffered. Really, this is Jesus' joy. His joy is to suffer. It was joy for him, even, through the, uh, even though he went through hell, to give us salvation. 
depending on your theologian, some will say that he literally went through hell. Others say figuratively. That's another sermon for another time, a different discussion. But regardless, we cannot deny the hellacious nature of what Jesus went through, whether he literally went to hell and took the keys from the devil or not, is immaterial. Jesus suffered greatly, and he counted it and called it joy and said, I want you, I need you, as a matter of fact, I command you to have the same joy. I will have, I've told you these things so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Our joy, our full experience of the Messiah. We, we, we see that. We uh, uh, exemplify that. We, we understand that most fully when we are obedient, sacrificial, and loving. It almost sounds like sermon points for a sermon that might be coming up in about three minutes. Um, see, in the Old Testament, joy, complete joy, was only found in the Messiah. When they talked about complete joy, when they talked about full joy, they knew life did not offer that. Even the sacrificial system that they went through did not offer complete and full joy. They would only experience that when the Messiah came. And here's Jesus telling his disciples, be obedient to me. I've told you all these things so that my joy will be in you and so that you will have complete joy. How do we have that without the Messiah? And Jesus goes, mm-hmm, good job. You're putting two and two and getting four. Good job, y'all. This is God's, uh, this is Jesus' one more explanation, one more example of I am the Messiah that you are looking for. I'm going to be crucified here in just a few hours. Y'all have got to get this. He is telling them, I am the Messiah. If you're still confused, I'm going to talk to you for a few more minutes, but let me tell you, I'm the one you're looking for. He offers complete joy. So with that backdrop, with that maybe umbrella over us, we need to look at obedience this morning because he's not explained what obedience is yet. Up to this point, he's told us to bear fruit and and remain in the vine and uh, what will happen if you don't and that God is glorified when we produce fruit, which is a result of uh, being, being obedient and, and increases our love, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. He's covered all of these things, but he's never been clear about what he means by obedience. Well, he's about to get a little clearer. What does obedience look like? It's actually going to look like uh, four things, uh, actually five components of obedience that we're going to see in this passage. The first thing obedience looks like is in verse 12. Obedience looks like love. Jesus continues after he says, uh, I've told you these things so your joy may be complete. Verse 12, this is my command, love one another. Okay, Jesus, and you got anything to add to that? Just, I mean, that's it? Do we just, just love each other? All right, I can do it. See, there are no specifics. He doesn't get into any, you know, this way, that way. Now, we're all smart people. We've read other parts of the Bible. We've heard other messages. We can, we can come up with some ways that we're supposed to love each other, and the disciples probably could have too. But in this instance, at this point, Jesus is not given any sort of clarity on what it means to love each other, except that he says, 
as I have loved you. Okay, we, we love each other like, like, like you've loved us. Um, well, you've fed us, you know, those times, and uh, you've taught us. And, and uh, uh, See, again, no specifics. Jesus was the master teacher. A teacher, a good teacher, wants to create curiosity in the minds of his or her students. I, I was never, I, I, I've told you all before, I was a, a science teacher, an eighth grade science teacher for three years. I, I was, I, I, I wasn't the greatest, um, but occasionally, occasionally I could get these uh, eighth graders to really be curious about something we were talking about. Sometimes they just could not have cared less. They, they were not interested in trying to figure out what the, uh, the, the chemical makeup of the star that's burning was by using a, a spectroscopy scope. That just did not, nope, nothing. But occasionally, if we were cutting a dead animal or something, uh, we could, I could inspire some, curiosi- some, some curiosity from them. Jesus was the master at that, saying enough stuff to get you to go, uh, is there more here? Should we, or, or what are you getting at? We're like the Pharisees, though. Uh-oh. Our curiosity is not always, doesn't always lead us the right direction. We are like the Pharisee in that we're supposed to love somebody great. Who? Tell me who to love. The easy ones, right? That's who I'm supposed to love. Church members, right? They're easy to love, right? All of y'all are easy to love. Yeah, yeah, it's easy to love each other. That's, that's simple, they're thinking. Like the Pharisee who wanted to know who his neighbor was, we want to know who we're supposed to love. We don't get off that easy. Jesus keeps going. He tells us that obedience doesn't just look like love in verse 12. In verse 13, obedience looks like sacrifice. No one has greater love than this, than you lay down his life for his friends. Okay, now Jesus, you just up the ante. I'm good with loving. And by loving, I mean telling somebody I love them. Or... Or the way I show love is by not telling them I don't like them. Right? That, that's what we think love is. If I don't cuss them out, obviously I love them. Or, it, you know, that we, we, we want to find the, the, the least possible, the lowest common denominator. I, I taught science, not math. We want to find the easiest, the lowest common denominator, the simplest thing we can do to show love and see if we're, all right, we're good, Jesus. So I showed that one person love that one time by not, not punching him in the face. That was, that was me showing love. And he says, no, no. The specific here of love is putting others first. Not an ooey-gooey emotion. Not resisting an urge. Instead, going out of our way to show love, to exemplify love to do something for that person. There are a lot of activities that can happen before we kill ourselves to show love. There's a long list of things before you get to death that would show love to someone that you need to show love to. But we're good, right? I mean, okay, it's gotten a little harder, but... I can handle this one, too, because he says, 
greater love has no man than this, than he lay down his life for his friends. I can do that. I mean, I got some good friends I'd die for, probably. Maybe. One or two. I can can handle this one. I mean, because I'll probably never have to do it anyway, right? But, all right, at least I only have to die for my friends. And then he redefines friendship. Jesus, come on now. Verse 14, you are my friends if you do what I command you. Oh. So friends aren't just people I hang out with. People that, that have similar interests to me. Now, Jesus defines friends very, very, uh, very narrowly here. And it's not a, I will allow you to be my friend if you do what I command you to do. It's, you are my friend when you do. Or, because you are my friend, you do what I command you. But, but he is, he's narrowed that definition. And, and we're going to see in verse 14 how he has intentionally modified the relationship. Because what he's doing is calling friends who up to that point were not friends. They had a different status. Uh, Their relationship was different. And Jesus is saying, you know what? I I call you friends. And he's going to tell them why he calls them friends in a a few minutes. We'll, We'll see that. But what we also know about Jesus is that he died for many that were not his friends. So Jesus says, greater love has no, has no man than this, then you lay down your light, his life for his friends. I've called you friends, but watch here in between the lines is watch what happens tomorrow when I die for people and I pray for forgiveness for people who are doing, who are nailing the nails, who are doing the murdering. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He redefines friends here. Redefines friendship. And we see that obedience is the result of the relationship, not the other way around. I mentioned that a second ago. We don't, we're not made friends because we're obedient, but because we are friends, we're obedient. Innate in this statement, and then in verse 15 that we'll get to in a minute, is that we call friends and sacrifice for those people who aren't our friends. We make friends of those that we don't find friendly. We bring into a relationship those that we don't have that relationship with. That's not what he's saying, Michael. Yeah, it is. And if you don't like this passage to say that, let's go with the passage that says, love your enemies and bless those that curse you. Make friends of the unfriendly. Make friends of the unfriendable. And I'm not talking about clicking on your computer screen and putting up with their opposite politics or something like that. I'm talking about real sacrificial friendship that redefines a relationship that is already there in order to get you into a position where you love them enough to sacrifice even your life for them because that is what Jesus did for you. 
Jesus was willing to sacrifice his life for you, regardless of the enemy status that you have with God. That is love. And he tells us to mimic that love. The third thing that obedience looks like, or rather the fourth thing that it looks like, it looks like love, it looks like sacrifice, it looks like friendship. Verse 15 continues the redefinition of friendship, but it tells us that obedience looks like knowledge. Because obedience that proves the relationship, obedience that is an action that proves we have a relationship with Jesus is based on knowledge. Biblical knowledge, and I mean not our knowledge of the Bible, but knowledge in the Bible, knowing someone is an intimacy that is garnered by relationship. Jesus could say, I know you, and mean that in a very intimate fashion because there was relationship with the disciples. And he's telling them that because of, of your relationship with me, because of your obedience to me, you will grow in knowledge. You will, we will have more intimacy. You remember that uh, little uh, uh, flow chart I did last week where we started with um, relationship at the top and the relationship led to fruit, and that fruit was a result of obedience. The greater the obedience, the greater the love for Jesus, then that gets us back to a stronger relationship, which produces bigger, better fruit. On and on and on we go. Well, here we are again. He's telling them the same thing, that the relationship, this knowledge that we would, will have of Jesus by relationship is a result of obedience and not just a result of obedience, it is part of the obedience. We are to spend time with Jesus. We are to spend time in his word so that we are able, we are knowledgeable, we are uh, aware of what he has called us to do so we can produce fruit that leads to obedience, that leads to love and greater relationship, etc., etc., etc. So one of the things, the fourth thing obedience looks like is knowledge. Folks, we know what is required. If you've spent more than three weeks, three Sundays in church, you already have a pretty good idea of at least a, a basic idea of what is required for you. This isn't new. That love one another as I have loved you, that's not, it was a new command then. He says, a new command I give you. It's not new in 2017 to hear that church people are supposed to love everybody. Not even one amen. I thought I heard one somewhere. Are y'all still asleep? I know we lost an hour. I lost the same hour. So, you know, I'm sleepy too. We are called to love. We know what is required. We have no excuse. I mean, we, we might... Michael, I didn't know that I was supposed to uh, not eat meat if it offends my brother and causes him to stumble in some way. I was unaware of that. Okay, I'll give you that one. I'll, I'll admit that one might have been lost on you at some point, but loving each other? I'm not sure we can get around and say, well, I just didn't know I was supposed to love everybody. I thought once I came to Jesus, I could hate people and go to heaven anyway. This is the way some of us act, isn't it? As long as I, you know, I, I pray to prayer, so it doesn't matter how I act around everybody else. 
No, it does. We have no excuse. And he goes on to say here in verse 15 that we became Jesus' friend when he chose to share the knowledge of God. Disciples uh, are the ones who, who are imparted that knowledge. And the disciples sat around him. The disciples learned from him. But if they had just continued to sit around and learn from him, it would not have done any good. Uh, everybody here, pretty much, I'm, I'm going to just a blanket statement, I could be wrong, but most of us here have had a job at some point in our lives, unless we're too young. The rest of us have probably worked at some point. Every job you ever had required some sort of skill. I don't care what you say, oh, it was a brainless job. Maybe, but you still had to learn to do something in a particular way in order to keep that job. But if they had told you what the steps were, now some of you have much more uh, technical jobs than, than, than others. Uh, you know, when I worked at Sonic and was a car hop, there wasn't that much brain power involved. Look at the number of the uh, stall I'm going to, push the button and give it to them and learn to make change. I mean, it, it, it didn't, didn't require all my synapses to fire. Talking to JR this week about the Sitgo plant and, uh, and, and what's going on over there, and, you know, this shut down, that turned this one on, that one on, it's broken, you got to, and, and he was using words this long, and, uh, and I'm, mm-hmm, sounds bad. I, let me in there to fix it. We'll, uh, yeah, it won't be fixed. Um, if we just take that knowledge and we don't do anything with it, what's the point? You're not going to keep your job. Now, Michael, I need you to do these things. This is how you do it. You do it in this order. You do it this way. This is how you do your job. All right, you ready to go? No, I'm not going to do those things. That's kind of your job. Oh, I, I, I appreciate the knowledge, and I feel much smarter now that I know how to do it, but, eh, I just don't want to do it. See, that, that's, let's be honest, that's what we do as Christians. We, 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 we are told things by the Bible, and we go home, and uh, you know, I think I've used this example before. I believe it was a pastor named Matt Chandler. No, it was Francis Chan that, uh, said, uh, I've even forgotten now what verse it was, but we, we see the verse that says, love your neighbor, or, or go, go share the gospel, and what do we do? Well, we form a Bible study to talk about the verse that says, love your neighbor, or share the gospel, as if the command isn't clear. Knowledge, by necessity, leads to action. If I don't take my knowledge at the job and use it uh, in action, I get fired. If I don't take the knowledge that I have been given by my relationship with Jesus Christ and put it to action, I get plucked from the vine, thrown in the fire, and burned. Or put on the shelf, as I talked about last week. Useless. No longer uh, vital to the kingdom. No longer a part of the kingdom that can be used. When Jesus shares the knowledge, he expects us to use it. Obedience, then, looks like knowledge. The fifth thing that obedience looks like is it looks like answered prayer. Verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce fruit, and that your fruit should remain, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, 
he will give you. The disciples and we were called to a purpose. Remember, knowledge leads to action. And, and what's interesting here is, is that in the Old Testament, uh, this, this time, disciples normally chose their teacher. So the disciples would hear, hey, there's this guy, he's over there teaching. I'm going to go listen to him. And now, everywhere he goes, I'm going to follow and listen to him. They chose their teacher. So to, for, for Jesus to say, you didn't choose me, I chose you, is, is taking the, the script of the day and flipping it and say, y'all, I came and found you. I came and made you a part of this group because I needed you to know these things, to, to have this relationship, and then disseminate the, 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 the knowledge and share the relationship. We are here today, this morning, Sulphur, Louisiana, 11.25 for most of us, 10.25 for some of us, because of these 11 guys 2,000 years ago, sitting, walking through maybe a garden at this point, or sitting in a room after a Passover supper, half a world away. Tell me that those people did not take their knowledge and put it into action. Because we are a living, breathing result of their obedience to Jesus Christ. I'll ask you at this point, who is your living, breathing result of your obedience to Christ? Anybody? Anybody have a result? I hope we do. And you can probably think of some. But this is what God has called us to. This is the obedience that Jesus wants from us. Lasting fruit here is new disciples. Because he's talking to the disciples. Remember, he is gearing them up for his departure. I'm leaving, guys. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit, but I'm leaving. You're going to have work to do. You're going to do things greater than I've even done, he tells them later on. You are going to be an incredible witness for me, and you're going to die for it, by the way. Uh, you're going to be persecuted and punished and beaten and whipped and starved and burned, and all these things are going to happen. Joy but you are going to be obedient, and you will not see until the end of time the result of your faithfulness. Because they were faithful. Because they took the knowledge, they produced lasting fruit. So he says, you, if you are uh, obedient, you produce fruit, your fruit remains, these disciples remain, then whatever you ask will be given to you, uh, asking uh, ask the Father in my name, he will give you. If we were, are acting in obedience, we will pray in obedience. Have you ever wondered why, and, and hopefully you've been told this by many other preachers besides me, have you ever wondered why Jesus could say, and he says it quite a few times just in the, these three, four, five chapters here in John from 10 to, to 17 or so, why he could say with such confidence if you ask in my name, it will be given to you. In Jesus' name, give me a Mercedes. Well, it's, it's not a candy machine. But yet he says it with such passion. He says it with an absolute uh, finality. Why? 
because he always prefaces it with obedience. He is always telling them, get the relationship, get the fruit, get the obedience, get the love, then your prayer life will look like obedience. Your prayer life, if we are acting in obedience, we will pray in obedience. Answered prayer is a result of obedience. Notice I did not say answered prayer was a result of strong faith. Because how many of us have prayed with strong faith for somebody's healing? And they didn't get healed. How many of us have prayed for any number of things, firmly believing, declaring, and then have somebody tell us that if you'll only pray in faith, God will answer it? That's because while we do have to have faith, while we must pray in faith in the one to whom we are praying, trusting that he can and will and is able to do abundantly, exceedingly, all that we can imagine, even though we understand, about that, we understand that about the God to whom we pray, we also understand that Jesus and the Old Testament always talked about praying in obedience. That's why we pray not my will, but your will be done. Obedience looks like answered prayer. Because if we are obedient, we will pray in obedience, and God will answer that prayer exactly the way we ask it because we have only asked for what God wants to begin with. It, it, seems, it almost seems too easy, but have you tried it lately? I mean, have you really tried to say, Lord, I want this happen only if it's what you want in my life and what and even that phrasing probably is not the best we need to I think we need to begin with God I want your will to happen in my life and offer suggestions I mean he's not he's not offended by your suggestions but know that he's not swayed by them either uh, God I want I want your will regardless of what I'm asking for, regardless of what I think is best, regardless of what I'm looking for or what I believe would, would uh, work out best in my life, God, I am praying for your will. How can I know that with confidence because I've been obedient in everything else? And more than that, because of my relationship with him, I know that God has been faithful in everything else. I know what God wants for me in my life. Obedience looks like answered prayer, and God will give it. Now, if we, if we take this idea of what I said a couple of minutes ago, that uh, lasting fruit is new disciples, two up from the bottom there, three up from the bottom there, then we can know God will give it because we see over and over and over that he tells us he will. If you want the best example... Luke 2.10, lift up your eyes to the harvest. Behold, the fields are white with, uh, with harvest. Pray, the Lord of the harvest will send laborers into the field. See, God wants salvation of the lost. And if my prayer through obedience, if, if I am confident that God has called me to produce fruit, if I am determined that I will produce fruit, then if I pray that God will lead me to some lost soul and give me the words for some lost soul, you can bet he will. He will put them in your path. 
And then you've got to talk. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm just going to speak for myself here. I pray for that sometimes and then get a clear answer to that prayer and clam up. I knew what I was supposed to say. I knew how I was supposed to take the conversation, but I didn't. For whatever stupid reason I could come up with, and they're all stupid. There's no good reason not to be obedient with God. You've got a good one? No, you don't. It's stupid. Oh, I've got one. No, you don't. It's stupid. Anytime we are not obedient, we're disobedient. That's one to write down. Okay, get everybody reaching the pew rack. Anytime we're not obedient, we're disobedient. Well, what is disobedience? Well, disobedience would be sin. So anytime we're not obedient, we're sinners. We're sinful. We're not doing what we're supposed to. It, it seems so clear to us when we say it out loud. Why isn't it so clear when we're doing it every day or not doing it every day? If we will pray that God will give us the harvest, God will give us the harvest. I'm so thankful for the men that met yesterday morning up here at the church, 7.30, to pray. Just to pray. To pray that God would break our hearts, to pray that God would break our church, to, that, to pray that there would be a breakthrough in our families, in our homes, in our personal lives, in our church. Because... I, I'm, I'm, I can't find anywhere in Scripture that God says, I do not want your family to be closer to me. I do not want a spiritual revival in your church. I do not want you to be closer to me to increase the relationship, to produce more fruit. So when we pray for those things, God will answer those prayers. What does obedience look like? Verse 17. Well, it looks like love again. This is what I command you. Love one another. This this verse forms an inclusio, you see the word inclusion there, uh, with verse 12. So he says in, in verse 12, love one another. Verse 17, love one another. He's, he's bringing that passage to an end and saying everything here in the middle is about that. In all situations, love. doesn't matter. It does not matter the situation. Think of the person that you got in the biggest argument with this week. Love. Think of the person who cut you off on the interstate. Never happens in Louisiana, but in some states it does. What's your reaction? No. Not a hand gesture. Love. Think of your spouse that ticked you off for the umpteenth time this week, or the child, what's your response? Love. There is no situation where your response is to not be love. And as much as I wish it were the case, love does not sound like yelling. Never does. That's not a real love language, yelling. Not neither given nor received. In all situations, love. If your question is, should I sacrifice my time, my money, my life, you know what the answer is? Love. That, there's your answer. Should I love? Is this, is this the correct direction for me to go? Is this the correct thing to do? Love. 
Now, some of you are already thinking, well, sometimes the most loving thing is not to do something. Well, that's very true, but we sure do use that excuse a lot. Uh, it was more loving not to do that. Was it more loving or more convenient? I'm sorry, I think you may have confused the two. In all situations, love. Should I sacrifice? Love. Who is my neighbor? Do you hear the question that the Pharisee asked? Who is my neighbor? Or in this case, who is my friend? I'll tell you who your friend is. Love. Is it a person? Well, yeah. Love. Well, what do you mean? He's your friend. Because the nature of friendship has been redefined. The nature of friendship is not somebody on Facebook. The nature of friendship is not somebody I always get along with or who has uh, the same interests as me or the same values as me or the same skin color as me or the, the same uh, region as me. No, the, the, the answer to who is my neighbor, who is my friend, is if they're living, breathing people, love them. Period. I don't have the knowledge. I don't, know, I don't know what I'm supposed to do in this situation. I don't know how I'm supposed to handle it. The answer is love. As we talked about, if you don't, know the, don't have the knowledge, believer, you've, you've got the word. I, I, just, I just think you're not listening. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I don't know how to go about this, God. Well, that's very true. That's very possible that you don't know what steps to take. But the first step to take that is guaranteed to be the right step is love. Do you need a prayer answered? Love. It's amazing how we, we, might, we pray for certain things. You know, we, we love to pray uh, to change a person. God changed that person. Oh, Lord, you need to work on him. Where maybe if we changed our response to love, we might, not need to, we might not see the need for the change like we originally thought. You need a prayer answered in your life? Love. And, and, and not just each other, but Jesus. When we love, we'll be obedient. And when we're obedient, we'll see prayers answered. This morning, you may not understand love the way you need to story of little Tyler Duhon. It's a great story. And he laid down his life, not just for friends, not just for a redefinition of friends, but for family. For the next two minutes, I'm going to tell you about a man who laid down his life for you that up to this point you have rejected. You have told, I don't need your love. I don't need your grace. I don't need your mercy. I don't need your salvation. He provided for you the greatest love. Your mama loved you, not more than Jesus. Your daddy loved you, not more than Jesus. Spouse, nope. Kids, uh-uh. Not more than Jesus. Because they, your, your, your spouse, your family, even good friends, they'll die. Even for a good man, Paul said, I believe, in, in, in one of his letters, folks will die. But Jesus died not for the good but for the evil, for the enemy. That's love. That is experiencing true love. And this morning, you can experience that love. You can experience the kind of love that 
doesn't just like you, doesn't just provide things for you, but took the very curse of your sin, went through hell for you. That, my friends, is love, and that's a love I want you to experience this morning. And you do that very simply, as a matter of fact. Understanding, as Romans 3.23 tells us, that we've all sinned. See, that's, that's the issue, isn't it? Sin. Our sin is an affront to God. Our, our sin is a rebellion against God. Our, our sin is the attack of an enemy combatant against God. And Jesus died for that person. But we've all sinned. We don't make it. We are short of the glory of God. The wages of those sins, that sin, is death. But God provided the gift through Jesus Christ. A friend who is so much more than how we would define a friend. A friend who wanted to change the relationship, change the nature of friendship, and said, even though you are my enemy, I die for you. And eternal life can be yours through Jesus Christ our Lord. He proves that he loves us, and that while we were sinners, he died for us. Jesus died for us. While we were enemies, I mean, are you seeing it? What I just spent 30 minutes explaining, done so perfectly at the cross? An enemy dying, in this case, to make you a friend. Let me ask you, as an aside, you have somebody you don't like. There's no reason you think you could like them. As a matter of fact, it's not you just don't like them. You can't stand them. You hate them. And they died for you. Wow. I had that person wrong. I really misjudged that person. That's understatement of the year, isn't it? And yet, up to the point of our salvation, that's how we treat Jesus. We hate him. And then we see, oh, he died for me while I was his enemy. So what do you need to do this morning? You need to call on his name. You need to trust him for your salvation and be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Your status changes even go on Facebook if you want to. No longer single. I'm in a relationship. It's a different relationship. It's not ooey-gooey. It, I mean, yeah, our emotions run wild, but it's, it is a different kind of love that we have with Jesus. It is an intimacy. It is, it is saved to Savior kind of love. And there's nothing on earth that will ever, ever match that. And there's no one on earth that can ever do that for you either. But Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, thank you that you loved us enough to send your son. Thank you that you have called us friends who were once enemies, but not some, some universal blanket statement, oh, everybody's okay. God, no, you, you paid the actual price through your son to make that relationship possible. God, this morning I pray that if there's anyone here that is not of the flock, not of the vine, has, has not made you 
their father has not made Jesus their, their friend by coming into a relationship with him, that today they will trust you as Savior. They will turn to you. They will repent of their sin. They'll find salvation this morning. God, we pray that you will move in a mighty way. Lord, if there's some believer here this morning who has struggled with love, struggled with the, the people in their lives, the, and, and it could be past, present, God, they, they just they don't find it easy to love. And maybe it's not in general. Maybe it's just one or two people. I pray that we would see broken hearts this morning. We would see repentance. We would see a renewed relationship with you that then leads to the kind of love amongst each other that we are called to have as disciples. And we would see healing come to our church and our communities and our homes because we have chosen to love in obedience to you. God, decisions need to be made this morning. Work on hearts. Soften them. Work on feet to take the steps necessary. Lord, and do a mighty work in this place this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this morning, you need to decide how you need to respond. Do you need to accept Christ this morning? Do you need to follow in obedience, that first obedience of baptism? You've, you've accepted Christ, but you've never done that. Maybe you need to commit to following in a new way. God's calling you to something that you'd really rather not be involved in. Missions, ministry, I don't know. But he's calling you, and you need to respond. Maybe, believer, you need to pray about the person you can't love right now. You need to come up here and do it. And yeah, people are going to see you do it. And they're going to start running off names in their head. Oh, I wonder who it is they don't love. Mm, I bet it's so this person, that person. Mm, look at that person. That person's going up there to pray because they need prayer. Mm, I knew they needed prayer. Let them gossip in their head if they want to, but don't let their idiocy keep you from doing what, uh, doing what you need to do with God this morning. Because your relationship with God is first and foremost. Their little idiocy in their head, they got to get that straight with God this morning too. So the altar is open for you to pray. Let's pray that God moves this morning. If you would like to accept Christ and you would want me to walk you through that again, come talk to me. I'd love to do that. Let's stand, let's sing, and let's do business with God this morning.